the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. There seems to be this growing trend right now as kind of a, I want to be for First Amendment rights unless I disagree with you. And then I want you to be quiet. I want to figure out (laughs) ways that you can't speak. And David French, as he does, I want to use this as a jumping off off point because he wrote a very long blog post about the idea that our nation cannot censor its way into cultural health, into Mm. health. Let me just read how he finishes. And then I just kind of want your take in general about this subject. He says, in short, I value free speech, not so much because I'm right and you need to hear from me, but rather because I'm very often wrong and need to hear from you. Free speech rests upon a foundation of human fallibility. As American animosity rises, we simply cannot censor our way to social peace or unity. Mm -hmm. We can, however, violate the social compact, disrupt the founding logic of our republic and deprive American students and American citizens of the exchange of ideas and of the liberty that has indeed caused, as Frederick Douglass prophesied, thrones, dominions, principalities and powers founded in injustice and wrong to tremble in the face of righteous challenge. So he's kind of saying, hey, uh, I, I think the takeaway there, Aubrey, is we need free speech. We need First Amendment, not so that you can hear what I have to say. Right. So that I can be challenged by what you, you have, have to, to say. say. And that's where it gets really difficult. So let me start just <sighs> big picture. Are you surprised that there's this growing sentiment? It feels like at least it feels like it to mm-hmm. me. Uh, and again, we're going to talk to Karen Swallow prior about this in a little bit about particularly about books. But there seems to be this idea of if I don't agree with you, I'm going to try to uh, not just argue with you or put down what you're saying, but to stop your ability to say it at all. Are you feeling that? And if so, why do you think that's going on? I am. It's wild because in one sense, I'm like, oh, yeah, this feels right for where things have been Mm -hmm. since 2020. Like, I don't I don't totally like I don't have the perspective to understand why. But this feels part and parcel with all the conversations we've been having right. since the pandemic related to masks, related to vaccines, related to CRT, related to your two hashtag woke. Like it all feels like it's in the same thing. And it's a little exhausting to me, but I'm what freaks me out is a little bit. I mean, I guess I'm going back to like Fahrenheit 451 dystopian Mm. world. Like this cannot be America. Like we can't be Mm. banning books in America of all places. Like that's what countries who don't want their people to think do. And that's not our country. Mm -hmm. Our country celebrates, you know, ideas and exchanges. And so I'm while I'm not surprised by it based on the trajectory of the past couple of years, I'm mortified by it it feels un-american i i am definitely not excited about it and i think david french is right we can't just 
silence people like we have you can disagree but you have to learn to disagree you have to engage you have to know why you disagree and if you're just not exposed to anything whatsoever that might be a little bit different than what you think you're not growing yeah yeah and that person isn't growing and so i just just feels very unhealthy to me now i'm not saying we consume all things all the time Mm -hmm. you have to have discernment Mm -hmm. you have to have biblical wisdom this feels so extreme and like why I'm repeating myself now, but like wildly dystopian, yeah. scary yeah. to me. Uh, French quotes at Frederick Douglass in another spot. He says to suppress free speech is a double wrong. It violates the rights of the hearer as well as those of the speaker. So Interesting. it, it kind of cuts both ways. I, I, yeah. Aubrey, I don't think we believe in free speech until we believe in the free speech of the people that we vehemently disagree. You're with. exactly right. Brian. Uh, and, and I think we're getting away from that. We live in this. Uh, kind of culture right now, social media and other places where it's just about I want everyone to know that I'm right. And not only are you wrong, but you don't deserve to be heard. And it's a lot what we talk about with religious freedom. You don't believe in religious freedom until you believe in religious freedom for people who don't share your religion Mm. in this country. Yeah. and that's where it gets difficult. Yeah. Now, does are there are there do there need to be frameworks of what's taught to our kids in school? Like, do teachers can teachers go up and be like, oh, I have free speech? I can say, well, no, that's not right, true, right? Because you're part of a larger institution right. and whatever else. But in general, I think you're right. Like, this is also how we'll start understanding each other. Like, we always talk about how the left and the right mm. they don't seem to have anything in common. They can't work together yeah. at all. I would think if we got to a posture where we could listen to each other and disagree without being like mortal enemies, yeah, maybe there could be some compromise. But you're right. Mm. I think we're moving in this direction that's like, uh, not only do I not want to hear what you have to say, but I want to fight against your even ability to say it. Yeah, And I feel like that's the whole thing about cancel culture yeah. that we've been dealing with. Uh, there's always consequences for what you say, but it's almost like that's the point. Like. People suffer the consequences, but the consequences isn't that the government shuts down your ability to say things. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I, I do. Uh, and it kind of feels your dystopian thing. It feels like we're moving further in a bad direction, not like this is going to yeah, slow down. Yeah, and I mean, I, this is going to sound really extreme. So take this for what it's worth, okay? And just know, even as I'm about to say it, I'm kind of like, but... You're rolling your eyes at yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. But like, I think about a nation like North Korea, mm-hmm. who does censor what their people can consume and not consume. And we all know, I mean, left or right, none of us want that Mm-mm. here in the States. Mm-mm. And so this is the part that I'm like, what are we doing? What has happened? And I still can't help but wonder if there is just major unprocessed trauma mm-hmm. from the COVID pandemic that is like exerting itself in all these insane ways that we can't even think clearly as a nation right now. I don't know what it's going to change, take to change the trajectory of some of this stuff, but I'm, I am not a fan. Yeah. I'll just say that. I think it goes back to remembering that even the people I disagree with uh, are still, you know, fellow Americans. Like we're still Americans who've been created in the image of God. We're still, you know, we have, we have things that still come up and some, somehow our public discourse has become that we make mortal enemies of each other Uh, because of what we believe or the words that we say. It's just uh, not helpful. Always thankful for David French and his good words coming up next. 
Karen Swallow Pryor, research professor of English and Christianity and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're going to talk to her about masks. We're going to talk to her about her new podcast. And we're going to talk to her uh, about her new article, Aubrey, that has to deal with um, should we be letting our kids read certain books? What does she think about the banning of books that's going on? Some of the same stuff that we've been talking about. We're going to do that next with Karen Swallow Pryor here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Hope that you are doing well. And Aubrey, uh, we are always thrilled to have with us a good friend of ours. She's a research professor of English and Christianity and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Prolific writer, Mm -hmm. author, uh, on Twitter, everything. Her name is Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's good to be back with you guys. Yeah, we love having you mm-hmm. on. So thanks for spending some time with us. And we got a, a lot to talk to you about, uh, including some of the things you've written over at Religion News. And, and Karen, if you'd let me, let me go back, you know, a couple weeks to something you wrote where, uh, where you tied and, and you talked about your, um, you know, your support and your activism around pro-life and anti-abortion and tied it into uh, your frustration with people's even unwillingness, Christians' unwillingness to wear a mask. There's a lot of debate going on in our state right now because of the mask mandate in schools that's running through the courts and such. But I would love just the background of that, kind of help people understand how you made that connection to the two and just kind of what you're feeling around this subject. Hmm. Ooh, um, I have a lot of thoughts around this <laughs> subject, which is why I wrote a column. That's right. Um, <laughs> It's not just about wearing the mask, and I understand that that the whole science around masks is, you know, a little bit hazy and which masks and how effective they are, but my argument simply is um, that with so many, I mean, really an unthinkable number of people already dead, others dying, the hospitals overflowing with COVID cases, it really is a life or death issue, and we should be willing to do all, most or all of the mitigation practices. You know, vaccination for most of us, I understand. For some people, there are reasons not to. Um, masking for most of us. Um, social distancing when we can. I mean, if we, if we were doing all of those things, most of us, I think we'd really be in a different place right mm. now. And it occurred to me, you know, I mean, in my community, my local community, um, which is, you know, very um, Christian, at mm-hmm. least in identi- identification, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have very low vaccination rates and uh, resistance to masking. Even our, our governor is trying to do away with the, with the masking in, in the public schools. And yet our, my local hospital has the highest number of um, COVID patients in it right now than for the past two years. Wow. The obituaries are filled every day with people who are dying from COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, so this pandemic is not over, mm. and it is a life or death issue. And mm. I just, it occurred to me that, you know, we who are in the pro-life movement, I've been pro-life a long time, we're asking women to not get an abortion and to you know, have to go through so much to save the life of that child. I just don't understand why we who call ourselves pro-life aren't willing to just put on a mask, 
stay a little socially yeah. distant. Yeah. It's such a minor inconvenience, mm-hmm. yeah. relatively speaking. And then, you know, with that in mind, Karen, do you feel like it's impacting our our witness, um, sort of our unwillingness to wear a mask? Do you think it's um, that closely tied to our Christianity or... Um, do you just think it's a good, virtuous thing to do? Yeah, I mean, I hear, you know, I guess I, I am concerned about our witness, um, but it seems just even more fundamental to me that I, I don't understand why why we would not want to err on the side of life, even yeah, at yeah. A, a small inconvenience. So, it's, yes, it's about the witness, but it's mm. also more about who are we as people, and mm. do we really value the lives that we say we value because my heart is broken every day when the people I see people in my community who are dying because they are not taking this disease seriously. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Again, the name of that article is Being Pro-Life Demands Sacrifice for a Pandemic 2. We'd encourage you to go to Religion News and check that out. And then this week, Karen, you have a new article out that that I'm so excited to talk to you. It's about Let School Kids Read Mouse Lest They Don't Read at all. Mm. If anyone's listened to uh, the times you've been on or read you, you're a professor of English, right? Like literature is at the heart. You know, we don't know many people who love it more than you do. Uh, and so let's start there. Just um, what what has just been your sense as you kind of see the landscape of our country right now where there seems to be a lot of book banning going on? You even see some book burning going mm-hmm. on. I would assume that mm. kind of breaks your heart. I would love to just know your observation of it before then we dig into how we as Christians should kind of be processing it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, I do, I do love books. My whole first book was on, based on the theme of reading promiscuously in the words of the 17th century Puritan John Milton, who believed in that. Mm-hmm. But of course, I, I you know, I it, it's very complicated to, of course, and we can talk about this more, but, you know, every book is not for every person, mm-hmm. and especially when we're talking about children in schools. I mean, that that goes without saying. Yeah. But there is this sort of state of book burning and banning that I think is tied to a lot of the other issues that are that are um, affecting local communities mm-hmm. over school board debates, the masking debates. Yes, a lot of these are, yes. are connected. But what's really going to suffer in the end is our ability and desire to to read and to, mm. to engage in the kind of critical and interpretive thinking that reading cultivates in us. And that's the bigger question for me. Mm-hmm. And Karen, I know you've talked about this on the show before, but I think it's probably worth revisiting. Um, you know, when we're thinking about reading, we're thinking about maybe let's just talk to parents for a second. Um, mm-hmm. parents discerning what their kids can and can't read, you know, what's, what is some wisdom? Because you're right. Not every book is for every person, but does that mean you have to go as extreme as like, we're going to start burning the books instead? <laughs> what would wisdom and discernment say? Yeah, that, that is a big question. And I, 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 what I guess I wish would happen, um, if if I were queen for a day, <laughs> I, wish, <laughs> I wish that parents would do more of the reading with mm-hmm. their children, talking mm-hmm. about the books. I mean, Good. these kids, as I mentioned in the article, these kids are on TikTok and yeah. Instagram and Snapchat, be exposed to things that would make a sailor blush, yeah, um, yeah. just putting it mildly, and yet we're worried about them reading thoughtful, award-winning books, mm. um, wow. and every parent should be concerned about every 
book that a child is reading, but they should be having conversations with them. Um, and if, if, if their particular child is not mature enough or can't handle a certain subject matter because, you know, th- those things happen, then that should be the exception, but it should not be the rule mm-hmm. that those exceptions, you know, exceptional children set the standard for all of the others who are going to benefit from reading these wonderful books. Yeah, that's, that, that's really helpful because it is hard. You know, as parents, it's hard to know uh, where that line is. I do want to ask you before we let you go here in a little bit, you've got a new podcast. You, you're writing your podcast and all kinds of all things. Sorts of things. It's called Jane and Jesus. And you told us off air that you're, you're really proud of the way this has kind of played out. What's the background of this podcast? Who's the target audience? Tell us more about Jane and Jesus. <laughs> well, of course the Jane in the title refers to Jane Austen. There are a lot of great Janes out there. Jane Austen is one of my great loves. And of course, I do love Jesus, too. Um, (laughs) A lot of people don't know that um, Jane Austen was actually a devout Christian. She was an Anglican. Her father was a minister. Mm -hmm. um, And her works are really just steeped in the language and liturgy of her um, Anglican tradition. Mm. And so, I, you know, I've written about that. I've edited an edition of Sense and Sensibility, and I, I mean, to be completely honest, I was approached by Soul Shop Studios, which does these great podcasts that are about religion um, across the board, and um, they asked me if I'd be interested in doing a podcast, and it was way outside my comfort yeah. zone, but... Yeah. Um, She's gotten a, a great array of guests across the religious spectrum and various interests in Jane Austen, and Fine. it's just been delightful. I've learned a lot. And you've, you have a few episodes out already, Karen. What, what are some of the highlights that uh, listeners can look forward to? Well, the episode that dropped this week um, features Vanessa Zoltan, who is uh, the host and creator of the famous Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast. Wow, cool. Um, Yeah, an author herself. And I had uh, last week um, Father James Martin, uh, the Jesuit priest and editor of America Magazine. We talked about Mr. Collins and and all the odious clergymen in Austin's novels. Um, so it's just been, it's been wonderful. We focus on one character um, from Pride and Prejudice, but we talk about so many other things. You don't even have to know a thing about Jane Austen to get something out of these podcasts because we really just talk about life and all of the themes um, that are in the pages of that book. That is awesome. And we can't encourage you enough. Go get Jane and Jesus wherever it is you get your podcast. Again, that's called Jane and Jesus. And you can... Uh, learn more about Karen and her books and everything she's doing at KarenSwallowPrior.com. You can also find her on Twitter at KS Pryor. That's at KS Pryor. Karen, I, let me ask you a quick question. Do you still enjoy Twitter? You have so much in uh, going back and forth uh, with people, and that's a really <laughs> complex question. But sometimes I read what people say to you and other things, and I think, is it worth it? Do you enjoy it? <laughs> I, you know, I mainly do enjoy it. Um, I want to redeem um, the form, uh, and so it, it has. It's fraught with all kinds of um, bad, you know, traps yeah. and, and things like that. But I, but I think it's, you know, it's 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 what it's the world we live in today, and it uh, it introduces me to so many people and conversations and ideas that I wouldn't have otherwise. I just um, try to ignore the bad stuff as much as I can or more than I usually do. I'm trying to be better at that and just um, take the good. Yeah. That's good. Good Good for you again on Twitter at KS Pryor 
at KS Prior. And we encourage you to go to Religion News and you can read all uh, of Karen's writings there as well. Karen Swallow Pryor, Research Professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Karen, we always love having you on. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us as we close out the week. All right, Aubrey, um, sometimes we do newsy stuff here. Sometimes we Mm -hmm. try to challenge ourselves, but sometimes we like to listen to things that one of us or our producer, Debbie, has found kind of online or on TV or whatever else to just inspire and encourage or to bring comfort or whatever else it might be. And so uh, Kirk Cameron and uh, his sister, Candace Cameron Bure, uh, and they did a sit down on TBN with two of their other sisters. Which I didn't even know they had other sisters until I watched this. Someday, another conversation. I would love to talk to somebody like this about what is it like when you have really famous siblings. Like, and you're sort of the non-famous one. Uh, yeah, that would be really interesting. Hold that thought. Okay. We, we don't have time for it now, but I did a ser- that was a sermon intro for me once about James, the brother of Jesus. Ah, there are some really fascinating ones. We'll ah, get into it another okay, time. But okay. they have a conversation, and it's nice. They have a conversation basically around a dinner table. Yeah, yeah, They're I sitting love that. there talking. It's Kirk Cameron, three sisters as well. Uh, and the sister, uh, Bridget, shares almost a... Uh, there ends up being an explanation, but it feels like a miraculous story mm-hmm. of thinking she's in a miscarriage and then not, and mm-hmm. then how this played out. So here's what I want to do. I want you to listen to the story. Uh, it's a couple minutes long, and then we can react to it. Let's listen to it. And I called mom, and I told her, mom, I'm having a miscarriage. And she said, Bridget, whatever you do, do not let the doctors take you into the OR. And I said, mom, they're, they're prepping me to go in and, you know, to do a procedure. And she said, Bridget, do not let the doctors do anything until you get an ultrasound. Mm. And I was like, Mom, but they, you know, and she said, Bridget, please, I'm just begging you. And I said, okay. So the nurse came in and she was about ready to take me and I looked at her and I said, I'm doing the ultrasound in the room. And she said, no, 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 we'll do the ultrasound in the OR. And I said, no, I'm having it here. Well, then I became the problem patient. Yeah. The eye rolling from the nurses. We got and, a difficult oh my one. gosh. And you know, we got a difficult patient. And so they came in and they brought the they brought the machine in there. And at that point John had come in, my hus- uh, my husband and um, mom was on her way and they did the ultrasound and the nurse looked at me and she looked at the ultrasound or the machine. She looked at me again and she looked at the machine and I go what? I go, why, why, what, what? And she started crying and she said, you're still pregnant. And I, I started crying and I said, how can you say that to me when I just miscarried at home in my bathroom? I just physically said goodbye to my child. And I was nine weeks at the time. And she said, you're still pregnant. And she turned the monitor and showed me and there was a heartbeat. And John and I just looked at each other and we just said, what is, what is going on? And mom came in at that point and she saw us crying and she said, honey, I'm so sorry. And we had never experienced a miscarriage in our family, you know, none of, none of you or mom or anything. And, and I said, mom, I'm still pregnant. 
And she's like, what? And I said, yes. I said, look. And so at that point, I knew that there was something else going on. God was just giving me that sense that something else was happening. So I went to a doctor that had delivered Everett and she did an ultrasound on me and she she instantly said, you were carrying twins. And I had no idea that I was carrying twins, um, but I did miscarry one at home and carried wow. the second one. Reese. And mom told me to name the one that passed. And so I have, and that's Sophia and Reese is here. Yeah. So, wow. And if you had gone into the OR and had I hadn't listened to mom and mom being so persistent with me to get, not let them take me, Reese would not be here. Oh, so I'm grateful. Very grateful. All right, Aubrey, that is an unbelievable story. And part yeah. of it is, as you're listening to it, you're like, it's just going to be a miracle. This right, is it. Right, right. And it is, and it's not, right? right? Like, right. she was at twins. That's what ended up being. There's a lot of stories in here about persistence, about, you know, making sure and all of this stuff, but also the encouragement of a loving family yeah. and, and God at work in and amidst it. I've, I've got some thoughts I'll share in a second about miscarriage. This is something that it, my wife and I struggled with. Yeah. But as you listen to the story of kind of joy and pain mm. kind of right there with each other, mm. uh, just kind of what were your thoughts about it? It made me think of two. Two things. It made me think of what we talk about on the show a lot, and I'm sure you preach about this a lot, Brian. The concept of already not yet. Like that's a very this is just a living metaphor for already not yet, because the not yet, of course, is this precious baby who died. But then we have the not yet, the hope of this twin, and the hope that one day mom will meet Sophia again in heaven. And you know what a what a powerful vision of that. It also made me think of. Um, you know how when there are forest fires mm-hmm. and they're terrible and they're horrific, but then later you hear like deforestation experts or scientists yes. or ecology experts say that actually that almost needed to happen in order for there to be yes. new growth mm-hmm. and good growth and actually healthy growth. And I'm not obviously advocating for forest fires, but <laughs> what I'm saying is even scientifically it, There seems to be some gospel truth in that when things seem like they're being destroyed and diminished, God is already at work doing something new. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is just another example of that. Like, yes, there is pain. And she lost Sophia, her baby. Like, that's that's awful and devastating. And it's not like one baby cancels out the other at the same time. The fact that she thought she lost everything and still here was this gift of grace. And obviously the Holy spirit spoke through her mom. I mean, so much of God's goodness at work and you just see the grace and the goodness in what is a horrible situation. I just feel like that's the power of Jesus right there. Yeah. And, like I said, Carrie and I have went through miscarriages kind of between, well, we had one before Madeline, our oldest, and then two between Madeline and Jackson, our middle, uh, our oldest and our middle. Yeah. And it's awful. Mm. And I know there's people out there who are listening who are like, mm. yeah, I know that. And I, people say really flippant things around miscarriages and uh-huh. just know that I know. And and I know, Arbor, you've walked many women through that. Yeah. I'm sure it's, it's, it's just the worst. Uh, and I'll tell you the story again some other time with one of our miscarriages. We thought we had. Uh, there was a miracle happening and then it didn't. And you were just like, Oh my gosh. But, but what I love about this story is that in our world, joy and pain are so up against each other, right? They are so close to each other. 
the constant in our joy and the constant in our pain is God, right? Mm. Like he's there in the midst of both. And I think if you're out there going through just amazing struggle right now, uh, know that, right? Know yeah. that God yeah. is present. Yeah. He hasn't abandoned you. I remember we were having our miscarriages. Mm-hmm. You would, we regularly cry. Where's God? In of all course. Of Where's God? I mean, you wrote a book about it and mm. um, know that God, joy and pain are, you're already not yet. They're, they're right there with each yeah, other, but are. God is present in both of them. Uh, and so hopefully you get that. And that story is encouraging, you know, God yeah, at work it's a beautiful and story. Doing stuff. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are joined by a very special, very handsome, very dashing guest by the name of Kevin Sampson. Kevin, thanks for being here with us today. So great to be here with you guys. And uh, if you recognize the fact that Kevin is here, that means you might also recognize the why he's here. And that means it is time for our trivia show we got a really big football game coming up this weekend you may have heard of it it's called the super bowl so we're going to do a big game trivia all right and i thought this would be fun for brian and kevin because they're both big football fans you forgot Uh, to remind everyone i won last time uh, Brian won last time, although I did hear Kevin say he doubted you won last time. So <laughs> I, I don't keep score of this. So here we go. Okay. So are you guys ready? Ready. All right. Some of these will be easy. Some of these will be a little bit trickier. Here is question number one. And uh, I have some multiple choice answers okay. for you. What teams have won the most Super Bowls? Mm-hmm. A, Pittsburgh Steelers. B, New England Patriots. C, Green Bay Packers. Or D, Denver Broncos. Kevin, I'll let you answer first. I'm going to go New England Patriots. Okay. Brian? I'm going the Pittsburgh Steelers. You both are correct. Ah. Both teams have won six Super Bowls each, Pittsburgh Steelers and New England Patriots. So you both get a point for that. All right. Number two. Which Super Bowl halftime show preceded a stadium blackout? Is it A, Katy Perry? Is it B, Beyonce? C, The Weeknd? Or D, Lady Gaga? Brian? I know that. That's Beyonce. Kevin? I'll go uh, Katy Perry. Brian is correct. It is Beyonce. That was correct. I let him have that one. I know my halftime shows. (laughs) (laughs) He knows his Beyonce. Okay. Number three. How much does the Lombardi Trophy weigh? Is it A, seven pounds? B, 10 pounds? C, 11 pounds? Or D, five pounds? Kevin? The Lombardi Trophy, seven pounds. Brian? It's not exactly a football question. We're going to go with uh, B, 10 pounds. It is 7 pounds. Oh. Kevin, you are correct. Yeah. Brian, this is a football question. <laughs> this is a big game-themed question. It's not, The Lombardi Trophy is not for basketball. The weight of the Lombardi. Is okay, it? Okay, no, you got, you're good. It's your, my it's game your show, game. Brian. Your game. Don't be, don't be a poor loser. All right, number four. Here's another one you'll really like. What famous jeweler, jeweler makes the Lombardi Trophy? Is it A, Cartier, B, Bulgari, C, David Yerman, or D, Tiffany? Brian? I only Of those, I only know of Tiffany, so I'm going to go with Tiffany. Okay. And Kevin? I unfortunately know this. Tiffany is correct. Tiffany is correct. Yeah. Well done, guys. Well done. All right. Right now we are Brian 3, Kevin 2. Let's see who is, I'm going to be pulls. very, hold on. I'm going to be very nice here. Your husband has three. 
because we tied the first one. Then he got the Lombardi Trophy weight. Look at me being fair here. Wow. And now he just got Tiffany. Well, yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Okay. You're All welcome, right. sir. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Let's see who can. I'm trying to make this football themed. Who can pull the most yardage? <laughs> nope, don't and, try. Okay, okay, be quiet. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Number five. What two cities have hosted the most mm. Super Bowl games? Is it A, Miami and New Orleans? Is it B, Los Angeles and Tampa? Is it C, San Diego and Atlanta? Or is it D, Houston and San Francisco? Kevin? Miami and New Orleans. I agree. I was going to go Miami and New Orleans. You both are correct. Oh. Miami has hosted 11. New Orleans has hosted 10. Okay, we're tied still. All right, here we go. Number six. Who won the big game the year of the infamous wardrobe malfunction? Is it A, Buffalo Bills? B, New England Patriots, C, Green Bay Packers, or D, Dallas Cowboys. Ryan? That was the New England Patriots. Kevin? I'll go with the Packers. Okay, that puts Brian in the lead. It was the New England Patriots. All I'll tell right. you a funny story. I was a youth pastor hosting a... Uh, oh, no. A, oh, um, no. Like a youth group watched at, the, at our church big screen, oh, and no. I wasn't facing the screen. I was playing video games in the oh, halftime no. with another kid, and oh, all no. of a sudden, this what? And I turned, and oh, the, no. the, the look on some of the leaders' faces—I'll never forget. Wow, that you'll day. never forget that that was the New England no. Patriots. Okay, all right, that's good. All right, number seven. Which NFL quarterback legend has never gotten a big game ring? Is it A, Joe Montana, B, Brett Favre, C, Drew Brees, or D, Dan Marino? Kevin? Dan Marino. Brian? Dan Marino. Dan Marino, you're correct. Yes. Okay, well done. All right, number eight. Who holds the record for the most passing yards in a Super Bowl? Is it A, Tom Brady, B, Drew Brees, C, Peyton Manning, or D, Brett Favre? Brian? Tom Brady. Kevin? Brady. Both correct. Oh, All right. Run now. All right. Run now. Here, we go. Here we go. Brian is still ahead by one. Here oh. is question number nine. Who was the first left-handed quarterback to get a big game ring? Is it A, I don't know how to say this guy's name, Boomer Esiason. Boomer Esiason. Esiason. It's close. It's close. <laughs> B, Ken Stabler. 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 You're, you're doing it. C, Mark Brunel. Good. D, Michael Vick. Kevin? I think Ken Stabler was the only one that won one of the people you mentioned. Brian? I, I am going to agree with him. I Ken Stabler. Ken Stabler or Stabler. Some I was hoping like I'd get say. you on that one. I was hoping that one not again. All right, okay. you guys. We've got a couple more questions. Still Here we up. go. This is a good one. I, I hope you get this that one. What'd you say? That last thing's a good one. Thank yeah, you. I, thank you. I appreciate Just that. You say boomer Esiason. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Esiason. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a very important question. I'm ready. And I don't think you're a football fan if you don't know this one. How much do Americans spend on beer for the big game? <laughs> Is it A, $1 million? Is it B, $1.3 billion? Is it C, $2 billion? Or D, $2.3 billion? The choices are one million, one point three billion, two billion, or two point three billion. Brian. Mm, two point three. Kevin? One billion. Oh, one point three oh, billion, guys. One point three billion. Oh. Okay. One point three billion. All right, we got, got my time. lead. Still got my lead. We got time for a couple more. 
in honor of Black History Month, who was the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl? Oh, I got that one. A, Doug Williams, B, Russell Wilson, C, Patrick Mahomes, or D, Michael Vick? Brian? Am I first this one? Yeah, you'll be first. That was Doug Williams. Kevin? Doug Williams. Yes, you both are correct. All right. That's right. All right, uh, number 12, how much did a ticket to the very first big game cost? Was it $30, $20, $15, or $12? Kevin? $12. Brian? I think it was $12. It was $12. Nice. Yeah, uh, telling you what inflation is, it's between four dollars and $5,000 now nice. for a ticket. <laughs> nice. All right, this is our final... Question. This gives a chance for Kevin to tie with Brian or Brian takes the game. Okay, I'm ready. The big game. Winner takes all, Brian. Let me me hear the question first. Here we go. (laughs) What was the most expensive ad ever during the big game was for what item? The most expensive ad during the big game was for what item? I think I know this. A, Amazon Echo. B, Apple, that 1984 commercial based on the dystopian movie. C, Pepsi with Britney Spears. Or D, like a girl. Hashtag like a girl. Kevin, what say you? Echo. Amazon Echo. Brian? So when you said it before giving us the choices, Mm -hmm. some reason I thought it was the 1984 one. So I'm going to stick with my first thought. It was the Amazon Echo. That is a tie game, gentlemen. Gentlemen, well done. Right where I'm at. I tied Gabe. I just poured Gatorade. I just poured, I poured Gatorade over my own head right here in studio. So. Well done. Well done. Well, we hope you have an enjoyable weekend and plans to watch the big game with some friends. Maybe you can impress them with the trivia that you have now learned from Brian and Kevin. Uh, Kevin, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks for having us. Good to talk to you guys. See you You're about. listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And because it's Friday, that means we are doing one of our favorite things that we get to do throughout the week. And that is a top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right, Brian, as we have said throughout the show, there's a big game coming up this Sunday. And because of that, uh, we thought we would do something Super Bowl themed. Okay. And uh, one of the things that the big game is known for, halftime shows, certainly, great football games, certainly, but also the ads. Yes. So we are going to do the top five ads during the big game uh, of all time in the I past just, decade. So I think the way we want to frame this is it, it's just the, what are the top five that you and I, like when we looked at a list, we went, oh, I love that one. Yeah, yeah. So, I remember that one. That one stood out to me. So these yes. are probably going to have a more recent feel, at least my list, because uh, by recent, you know, it could be 10, 15 yes. years ago. But, you know, there might be great ones. Uh, I put an honorable mention one to one of the more famous ones from back in the day, but I don't remember it. You know what I mean? So, uh, I see. Okay. So Aubrey and I, these could go different directions, but we tried to look at some lists of famous Super Bowl commercials and said, oh, I remember that one. I love that one. Mm-hmm. And we'll go with it. I suspect my number five is going to be on your list because I heard you ah, doing your research. Okay. 
Uh, and we're going to just have to describe these. My number five was from Volkswagen. It's called The Force. There's a little kid dressed Love as Darth one. Vader, and he's able to stop the car or make yes. the car do things yes. when it's not him actually doing it, but right. he's like blown away because right. he's been trying to use The Force <laughs> and he thinks it worked. Love Volkswagen, The Force. Yes, I love that one. In fact, Brian, I'm just going to copy you and have Volkswagen, The Force as my number five because there right. was something so cute about the kid and he's all discouraged and then he goes out. And also, let's just be honest. That was an ad for like the car that you could start yes. remotely, and that was mind blowing at the time. That's so, right. So very, very fun. Great ad from Volkswagen. All right, my number four, and there have been a bunch of these now okay. that have been kind of in subsequent Super Bowls. Uh, these are more recent. These are the Snickers ones, ah, where it says yes. "Get in the game," and particularly the one with Betty White. Betty White passed away recently. R.I.P. Betty White. And Betty White gets tackled really hard. And they said, you need a Snickers. And she does. And she goes back to being, you know, the 25-year-old guy or whatever. Snickers commercials, particularly the one with Betty White. Okay, Brian. So I'm just going to copy you. I'm going to take it a little bit different. I'm doing a Snickers commercial. This is the one. I barely remembered it. But when I saw it come up on a list online, I was like, oh, yeah, that one was so funny. It's the Brady Bunch, but then mm-hmm. I think the actor's name is Danny Trejo. Yes. He's like this very like bad dude. Yes. He comes on as like angry Marsha and it's so entertaining with one. his long straight hair and I just remember really, really liking that yeah, it's one. That's a funny one. Yeah. Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me in the nose with a football. I can't go to the desk like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what dad always says. Never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. All right, number three, and uh, this one's going to be a category of, because there's basically one or if not more of these every Super Bowl. Okay. But for number three, and people will know exactly what I mean when I say this, I'm going with the Budweiser Clydesdales. Oh, right. Those are like classic Super Bowl commercials. Some of them are funny. You've got the one where Mm -hmm. they're playing football and the Clydesdales kicking the extra point. Yes. You have the really poignant one after 9-11 where they bow before ground zero. Makes you want to cry just hearing you talk about that. Looking over from the yeah. New Jersey side. Yeah. So every year you've got a different kind of Clydesdale commercial for Budweiser, mm-hmm. but I love these. So I'm going with the whole category of the Budweiser love Clydesdales. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. Uh number three, I am gonna go with it's a it's an old spice ad, and it was one of those where like the man in your life can smell like, and there's just a lot of funny, funny little segments that they go through, and I just think those are hilarious. So that's why I'm throwing that one in there. Okay. I saw, by the way, there is one that's going to be in this weekend's oh, really? big game that I saw. I believe it's Amazon. I think it's Siri or... Well, Siri's not Amazon. Anyway, it's Amazon Echo, maybe, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, Scarlett Johansson and <gasps> Colin Jost. Whoa! Jost, that is uh-huh, it. Jost. They're married. Yes. And, and so it's they showed it on the Today Show or <gasps> Good Morning America uh, earlier in the week. Very funny. Oh, I can't wait. I yep, can't wait. Yep. I can't wait. Very I can't funny. Wait. Okay, what are we at? Number two. We are at number two. All right. You either love these commercials or you hate these yeah. commercials. Yeah. And I think most people started loving them and then they started hating them because of all the spoofs. And all of this, uh, 
probably 10, 15 years ago, the Bud Light commercials where the guys would just answer the phone and go, what's up? (laughs) Did that start at the Super Bowl? I did not know that. I remember the first time I saw those and they would just go, what's up? And then there would all these spoofs of them. I love those. And most people, because then everybody started doing it. Right. And then, you know, people like my wife would be like, can you stop already? These are stupid. This isn't funny anymore. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those are good ones. Those are really good ones. Okay. This one is so subtle, but I still laugh about it. <laughs> and it's a State Farm commercial. So one from maybe last year or two years ago, where all of a sudden it's just Drake, the musician Drake. And he's like, hey, it's Drake from State Farm <laughs> instead <laughs> of Jake from State Farm. And I thought it was so brilliant and so funny. There were other celebs in that ad, too. But I, I still think about that and how fun- hey, it's Drake from State Farm. Drake I still State think Farm. about how funny that is. That's really funny. Yeah, yeah. That's really one funny. of my faves. All right, we're up to number one, but we're up to honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. I only have one. Okay, I've got two. And I, as I said, this is an older one. Okay. Oh wait, I just thought of another one. Go for it. Share it. It's always beer commercials. You're so such let's, a, the you're first such a one. Lush. That, yeah, the one that I wrote down. So not the beer commercial. Coca Cola, the very famous Mean Joe Green. Uh, where oh, the kid, yep, a yeah, kid yes. catch and he throws them and he drinks yes. the coke and yes. whatever else. So that's a classic. You know which one I forgot. Oh man, how did I forget this one? What? This one should have been on my list what? with the the Budweiser frogs. Do you remember the big like, Bud <laughs> Bud Wise? Oh, yeah. And then the one just goes, <laughs> <laughs> but they all just go Bud. Yeah, Bud. classic, classic. Bud. Oh, I I, how did I forget that? That's good, Brian. It is true that generally the beer commercials stand out. They do. That's sort of a theme. They do for and the, sure. And the ones I don't understand is when people spend all the money on the commercials. Yeah, and they don't. And they don't hit. Like, they're dumb. Yeah. And you just put a lot. All right. What is your honorable mention? Okay, I've got an honorable mention. I don't even really remember this ad, but I just remember going, oh, this is so awesome. Chance the Rapper and Backstreet Boys in one commercial. It was a Doritos, Doritos. commercial. They, I think it was I Want It That Way, but they remixed it, and then Chance had a little yes, rap. I and, do remember that. And then I also think, I don't love this commercial itself, but that 1984 commercial that Steven Apple. Soderbergh yep. directed for Apple was just cool and like artsy. So I would I would throw that one in. And that gets into the we don't really remember them because we, we were seven at the time. Yes. Uh, but yes, that was it. So in general, before I say number one, are you a big ad person in the Super Bowl? I mean, yes, but it's I always say that I am, but it's funny because I had a hard time remembering some. Yeah. So I may not be as much as I think I am. The answer to that question is no. Oh, OK. So, OK. Uh, like I'll fast. We've started like taping the game a little bit being behind and I'll fast forward. Oh. But if one looks funny, we'll stop. You'll go and back and, and yeah. 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 All right. Number one. And this is this was uh, just a fun commercial when we were younger. OK. Like, I would guess this was probably late 80s, very early 90s. Mm-hmm. We were younger, but also I was a huge basketball fan like this hit at the right time. OK. For me. This is the McDonald's commercial mm-hmm. in which Michael Jordan and Larry Bird are playing a game of horse. You and me for my Big Mac. First one to miss watches the winner eat. No dunking. <laughs> off the floor, off the scoreboard, off the bank board, no rim. Over the second rafter, off the floor, nothing but that. And yes. they, it's funny because yes. they can't miss because they're like two of the greatest. Right. So it starts and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, three buildings over. Got to bounce it off here. Bounce it off. Oh, and I, I remember about that. Yeah, and I remember being younger, being like, 
whoa, it's Michael Jordan yeah. and yeah. Larry Bird and this and that. And so part of it was where I was at in life yeah. with that. But also it was just super creative. It was McDonald's. It was two of the most famous guys there were. So I'm going McDonald's. Uh, Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Okay, this one is a little more serious and a little more emotional, but I I was really moved by this, and it was that hashtag like a girl ad for always. And they had, um, if I if I can remember it, it was really just to like empower girls everywhere and at all fields, and that it was like asking people what people did like a girl or mm. something like that and it ended up kind of twisting on that and being really empowering like girls can do amazing things and it was I loved that ad uh when it when it came out I think I even like might have written an article about it the next day like it was so moving for me I do feel like so, we just went very different on our number one we did we did we went incredibly different on it and it makes sense with our personalities that we would do that okay so what did we miss Brian and I are very aware that we may have missed some of the best ads out there so let us know your favorite ads from the Super Bowl over the past several years we want to hear them from you we want you to jog our memory Uh, When we return, we are going to do something really fun and share with you some weird and wild news from the Internet. Stick around for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. It is the end of the show on Friday. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. And if you heard that song, we've heard that sound, you know that means we are going to do something we've gotten to do the past few weeks. It's been really fun. The Internet is a place full of weird and wonderful and fun stories. And we just want to share them with you. But the, the, the fun piece of this is these are articles that Brian and I have never heard until this very moment. This moment. So someone uh, on staff here at Salem has uh, sent these to us and we are opening them up for the very first time and reading to you the weird, wild world. I mean, what better way to end the week, right? What better way? This is a great way to send you on your weekend. All right. So I'm going to just, I already looked. So I'm going to share this first one with everybody. All right, this is coming out of South Dakota. A 99-year-old woman checks skiing off her bucket list. Unbelievable. 99-year-old woman who is young at heart is hitting the slopes for the first time. She's had disabilities her whole life, preventing her from doing so, but an organization called Ski for Light is making her dreams within reach. Edith, which is a perfect name for a 99-year-old woman. Feels like it. Edith has her family helping prepare for something special. She turns 100 in March. She has a bucket list. And the top of the list is being able to ski. So uh, they are getting ready. Hopefully, I don't know if they're doing this when she turns 100 or before she turns 100. But uh, she is about to go skiing. So this is going to be very, very fun to hear about. It's kind of crazy because most of us are like, I'm too sore at whatever age to do anything like this. This is uh, this is nuts. Do you think there will come a day, uh, you know, when we're about to turn 100, if we're still alive, that people go, Aubrey, that's a great name for a 100 year old. Oh, what if they do? And do Brian, gonna, do you think it's going to cycle in that direction? Probably. Think about yeah. your grandparents' names and it's, yeah. do they still fit? I don't know. That's kind of fun to think about. You're probably right. They will. All right. Know. Next one's out of Washington, D.C. Okay. Wandering hen taken into custody at the Pentagon security area. What? A wandering chicken was caught sneaking around a security area at the Pentagon, <laughs> local animal welfare organization said. 
The loose hen was found early Monday morning near the U.S. Department of Defense headquarters. The Animal Welfare League of Arlington wrote on social media, apparently the reason to why did the chicken cross the road is to get to the Pentagon, the group posted. The chicken was taken into custody by one of the league's employees. Uh, They said in an email that she couldn't reveal the precise location where the bird was spotted. (laughs) We're not allowed to disclose exactly where she was found. We can only say... It was at a security checkpoint. The hen, which was brown feathers and red comb and wattles, is a Rhode Island red. Jones described the bird as sweet and nervous, but said she was allowed some people to pet her. There you go. This is a hilarious story. I love that. Okay, Brian, here we go. Oh, you probably should have read this one. This is coming out of Texas. Uh, The Madden game, if you remember the John Madden football video game from 1990, it sets a new auction price record at $480,000. That's crazy. A sealed copy of the 1990 video game for Sega Genesis sold for $480,000, setting a new world record for the highest price paid for a sports video game. Heritage Auctions said the video game, the first in a series of yearly releases of Madden football games for home consoles, fetched $480,000. This particular copy is especially extraordinary ah, as it uh. comes from the offices of its famous namesake. Madden, of course, is a legendary former NFL coach and broadcaster who died in December at the age of 85. Um, uh, look at that last paragraph, though. A sealed oh here we go a sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo Entertainment System became the most expensive video game ever sold in August 2021 fetched a price of two million dollars. Those are games we all had. I mean, I, I think to, I still have mine. But it's got to be sealed. And yeah, like, it's definitely like, not sealed. I used to work at a video store, and there were like boxes of these things. And I know there's probably something million. special about that, also that one. But still, if you're the the market out there right now for sealed, unopened things that were totally normal in our childhood that none of us have anymore, but we used to have everywhere yes. is a little disheartening. This is a little depressing. Can I just talk about the fact that you worked at a video store? Well, not to, three years. I Brian, did. That, the local video store in Long Valley, New Jersey called like, Long Valley Video. It's like the hub of the town. I was there. My dream job growing up. I never got to work at a video store. I'm so jealous of you right now. So the beginning, middle of my sophomore year of high school until probably halfway through my senior year. So two years. Yeah. Man. That's when you had to bring the the box up. And oh, it's a good job. It's a good job. I feel very jealous of you. All right. Michigan. The Michigan man wins $430,194 with a lottery ticket. That he forgot he bought. Stop it. A Michigan man won $430,195,000, said he thought he didn't win anything from the drawing because he'd forgotten buying the extra tickets online. The 56-year-old man told Michigan lottery officials he regularly plays the Fantasy Five drawing using tickets bought both at stores and online. I usually buy a few at the store and a few online. I checked my in-store tickets Sunday night and thought I didn't win anything this drawing, forgetting about my online tickets. The man said it wasn't until the next day that he checked his email while eating breakfast. I was scrolling through my emails Monday morning while I was eating breakfast, and I saw a prize notification email from the Michigan Lottery. After reading the email, I knew it had to be a big prize. I logged into my lottery account to verify the prize and was stunned when I saw the amount pending. I woke up my wife. Good move. Yeah. uh, Right away to tell her that we had won. And it goes on to talk about it. He says winning is such a blessing. 
Uh, I don't think it will hit me until I see the money in the bank account. There you go. Unbelievable. One more to go. Unbelievable. All right. Here's another one. This comes out of Nevada. (laughs) This is funny. This is funny. I just read the title. Sorry. A crash suspect says Dale Earnhardt's ghost told him to drive the wrong way. A man accused of intentionally driving the wrong, wrong way in Las Vegas' 215 Beltway told a judge that the ghost of NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt Sr. told him to do it. Daniel Asef, 51 years old, faces charges of attempted murder, driving under the influence and battery with those a... Those aren't funny. Those are not funny. With a deadly <laughs> weapon after the vehicle crashes report uh, crashes reported January 28th in the area of Lake North, etc. In, okay, in Nevada. In a court hearing Tuesday... Um, Asaf told Judge Ann Zimmerman that Earnhardt's ghost told him to drive the wrong way on the freeway in order to get the mayor's attention and bring NASCAR back to life. This part is not funny. Zimmerman noted that this gentleman reportedly had heroin and metamphetamine in his system at the time of the crash. So... Some funny, some not. The the funny part is the ghost of the ghost of the ghost of maybe the greatest NASCAR guy ever. I told you, I believe in ghosts, not aliens, but ghosts. So this happened. So it may have been a drug induced ghost experience, but it happened. (laughs) Tomato, tomato, right? (laughs) (laughs) Tomato, tomato. All right. Well, that is the wild, weird, fun news from the internet for this week. If we missed anything that you heard about, please tell us. There's a story you want us to cover next Friday. We would love to do that. And thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you have a great weekend and we hope you've got some plans to watch the big game on Sunday. Brian and I will be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.